Hi, everyone. It's Jen Duwall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I am talking with Lizzie Morris. We are going to go more in depth on all things agile, if you will. Now, if you caught last week's episode, you probably got a little bit more of a high level perspective. And Lizzie is going to share with you based on her experience as a certified scrum trainer, an agile transformation coach, and a consultant, different ways that you can develop your agile skill set. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of The Leadership Habit. I am talking to Lizzie Morris, and we are talking all about Agile. Lizzie, go ahead and introduce yourself. Let's, uh, they want to hear a little bit about you, what brought you into the Agile space, and how you help organizations and leaders implement and apply Agile tactics to be more successful. I'm so happy to have you, by the way. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for asking me and to the listeners everywhere. Hi, my name is Lizzie Morris. Um, as some of you will be able to tell, I'm a, a native Brit who's been uh, in the US now pushing on into the 15 years mark, believe it or not. And I got introduced to Agile through pain. So it wasn't that I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be so strategic and take Agile on. Um, It was, your project is now going to use Agile and we'd like you to learn about Scrum. And I was like, the what, the who? So I had the heartburn reaction to it, right? Because I was a staunch project manager and I thought this was just the biggest cowboy mess that people were bringing in. But what it did, and every time I remember it, it's like life-changing, is it brought the people in the team back to life. And I'm used to when people go into that burnout mode that, you know, they hate their work, they hate their job, they hated me, right? Because I'm pushing for those deadlines, it needs to be delivered. But people seem to transform when Agile came in the room. And that's what got me actually bought into wanting to know more was what it did to the people. Yes, there are great effects on what it does to environment and the work product, but the people, that's what made me become an agilist, right? And when I look at the four values today, the one that I really lean in on is the one that talks about individuals and interactions because we cannot make projects work, anything happen in this world unless Humans are having interactions with humans. So when it comes to being agile, I just think of it as a way of life, right? So you be agile versus you do agile. And as we get into the conversation, I'll be able to dig more into that. So I've been helping organizations transform and adopt these principles and values with different frameworks for them to actually actualize it through. And I've helped organizations that have over 10,000 people in it. I've helped smaller organizations that are like kind of 1,000 and a little bit above. And I've done a lot of charity stuff with nonprofits to help them take this in to kind of give them some momentum and boost. So it's a great thing to know about. And I'm really happy to be here to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, what a powerful thing to say that it can breathe life into an individual or a team that if they're maybe burnt out or frustrated and can't see a way out that by embodying or applying some of those agile principles that they can be kind of refreshed and rejuvenated. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like a metamorphosis. These people come back and you finally get the person versus just the role. Yeah. Right. And that in itself is so powerful because that's what you're hiring, right? You've, when you've gone to hire people for teams, you've looked at their skills and this is the person that you want to bring in, but they start to embody a role and then you lose the person. So that creativity gets lost. That innovation ability goes down the drain. You turn the agile key on. It's like you're liberating right, your teams and amazing things happen when people feel that sense of freedom and individual thought that my thoughts are worth something. And then you merge my thoughts with my other team members' thoughts, my other team members' thoughts. And, you know, you now have this amazing collage that we call innovation. See, I think that's so great because you don't typically hear when people think about, oh, we're trying to do something to make the team more efficient. Let's focus on understanding the individual. Those things I don't feel like you hear very often. They don't say, well, you can probably do that, but really agile at the heart and soul is a people practice. Right. It's very much a people practice. It really is. You look at every single one of those values, 
they're all tied into humans, how humans react or how humans respond. Even if we look at um, working software over comprehensive documentation, well, who thinks software works? It's going to be a human, right? You're making it work for a human to utilize it. So the human is still there in the delivery of work. If the human doesn't value the work you've given to them, they're not going to keep paying you. <laughs> they're going to go elsewhere, right? So there's always that human component that's in there, but a lot of people miss it. And then they wonder why, well, we bought Agile and it didn't work for us. Why do you think they miss it? Why do you think they miss it? I think the reason people miss it is because we're so programmed to output. Although we're in a modern age, we're still very industrial thinkers. So we're still using that industrial framework of mindset of resources, time, materials, as if we're mining coal or picking up bricks. That's still because most organizations that we've grown up in are really old, right? And they're founded on that industrial mindset principle, but it doesn't work for where we are today. But if that's your default programming, that doesn't have you see humans, it has you see resources. And resources are the same as bricks, mortar, coal, diamonds, wood, steel, resources. When you start talking about humans, that's different. Why don't you think it works today? I mean, I know it's kind of like the the square pig, the the round hole. They're going to keep trying to push it, but they're likely not going to get the same results that they had in the past by still trying to force that application. Why doesn't it work today to do, you know, an approach from the industrial revolution or an older? So if you think about even just the education level, right? Most team members today are more educated than their managers. All right. And have way more cognitive, I would say, renewal. Back in the day with the industrial, the people who were educated were managers, not the workers. So you were dealing with an uneducated workforce who were just brute force, pick up, do, do you know what I mean? Now you're dealing with thinkers, right? People who are creating. It's not industrial. It's a different paradigm. So trying to use the old paradigm with these new thinkers who are extremely educated, spent years getting degrees, et cetera, and this is your workforce, it's not going to work the same. That makes sense, though. I think that as you look at even the younger generations, the millennial, uh, Gen Z, lifelong learners, they're always wanting to challenge the status quo or they stay at organizations that give them developmental opportunities or a career path that... It sounds like by embracing agile, you're going to be able to engage your employees in a way that connects them back to what they're doing, that gives them meaningful work, that makes them excited to probably work for you. Right, which means attrition for you goes down, which attrition is a huge cost. High attrition costs you a lot. So if you can keep your attrition down, think about the savings and the return on investment your organization is going to have because this newer generation wants to be attached to a purpose. And whenever you're talking about being agile, you're talking about being agile to make a purpose come to light. So it attaches to the people today who do not want to be managed or told what to do. Right? That might be me sometimes. That might be me. (laughs) Tell me what to do. I'm an adult. Now you're giving them the space to be. I love Right? So it feels like for them, it's my choice to be here. It's my choice to work for you. And it's my choice to give you my talent and my thinking. And when I feel it's my choice, I will give away more because I chose to do it. Yeah, there's empowerment there. A huge empowerment. So before we go further, Lizzie, like let's dive into the basics because, you know, I... I gave a webinar on Agile. I understand the the surface, probably in a way that maybe some of our listeners do, but I'm going to guess that some of our listeners were like me and Agile was still new. It was definitely something that when I heard Agile or I saw or like saw the word Scrum, I just assumed that that was a place that was reserved to some tech software developer down where I would probably never interact with them. But Tell like let's go back to the basics of what agile is and how it actually has moved into maybe the forefront of someone that's 
not in the tech space. So what is Agile? And I know we're going to talk about the Agile Manifesto, but I want to hear from you. How would you describe this this shift into modern day, I guess, business practices? So when, when you look at Agile, right? Agile came about 2001. That's when it, it, it was morphed, right? It was kind of birthed. But what you've got to understand is the people who came together to birth that were already doing different frameworks. So let's take the Scrum framework that's extremely popular. The creators of the Scrum framework helped to create the Agile Manifesto, which is why the two of them marry so well together and they support each other because the influence from Scrum came into Agile. The influence of extreme programming came into Agile. So there's all these elements that came into the birthing of these. So these 17 minds that came together in Utah, right? After a three-year conversation, understand that. They were going back and forward for three years talking about stuff. You know, you kind of, you know what it's like. You go to a conference, you meet people, you pontificate, right? And they're like, I love pontificating with you over a beer. We should exchange details, right? And then you keep doing that through emails and all the rest of it. So when they finally came together, it wasn't just in that moment. It was moments that had built to that point. So they were able to say, okay, what could we all be comfortable agreeing on that we believe could change the way the workplace looks and the way the workplace acts? So those four values that they came up with, first value, individuals and interactions over processes and tools. We all know processes and tools exist. We're used to processes. We're used to tools. But how about now we engage these processes and tools to empower humans to have better interactions together? That's where you see the what I call the cha-ching-ching happen, okay? So classic, our cell phones. The process of making a call, you think about the process of managing your calendar, communicating. We took this and we socialized it around humans being able to interact with each other. Think about how that's affected the banking industry, right? How it's affected the mortgage industry. Every industry in the world has been affected by this particular tool because it helps humans come together. Now, it's not just French humans, business humans, right? So when I have to have a business interaction, when I have to buy a car, when I have to apply for a loan, I can do that all now through my device. So here I took a processing tool and it has enabled individuals to have interactions. So we see that value everywhere, everywhere, right? The telephone market is what? Kind of like in the trillion dollar market. Right. Right? I'm not even sure. I know that's a, you know, obviously a very large market. Huge, right? (laughs) Everyone has a phone. And interactions. And then we look at the second one, working software over comprehensive documentation. Now, Today, people get bent out of shape about that. But I don't do software. I'm not in the software world. And we say, replace software with what you do. So if you're a life coach, right, we're saying good life coaching services over documentation about it. So you've written about it. You've done videos about it. But when I come with you and you take me through that journey and you're coaching me, I should be getting that happening, a great coaching service, great value, not just, well, your brochure said, if I have like 10 sessions with you, I feel better about myself. I don't. <laughs> Hype. So it's right. like not making the pretty brochure of what that is and actually just doing the service that people will want to invest in. So if you're consulted, right. it's, you know, you don't have to spend all the time on the website or thinking about how to market, but it is actually the, I'm not just talking about it. I am doing it and providing right. that benefit for you. Right. And that's the second one. Just provide the benefit you told people you're going to provide. Right. And you can do that best by implementing the third value, right? Customer collaboration over contract negotiation. What does that mean? Build build relationships with your customers. Collaborate. Collaboration is not me just talking at you and you just talking at me. It's us sharing ideas. It's us morphing together. So I truly understand what it is to be in your shoes. So now when I put a contract in place, I'm not about the red letter of the contract. The contract is aligning how we're going to collaborate. And then the fourth value, right? Responding to change over following a plan. Because I'm open to responding to change over following a plan, it helps me collaborate with you better. Because my job is to help you as a business owner, right? As a multi-million dollar company, 
as a person just trying to do better in their relationships with the people they care about, have those better relationships. So I've got to listen to hear what's going on with you to empower you to have better interactions with the people you're having interactions with. So if you look at it, it's this. It's not one, two, three, four. It's a flow, right? Relationships make all the difference in the world. I can think about organizations where I've had relationships with leaders and I'm able to bring people on site based on the relationship, right? Even though we haven't had master services agreement all done, et cetera, relationships make a difference. Why? Humans are doing business with humans. We're not doing business with robots. <laughs> Sometimes we need to remind people of that basic thing. I think people forget oh. it. <laughs> I think leaders even forget that you're in the business of leading people, not a means to an end. And everyone can tell when they feel like a means to an end. And that doesn't feel good. But one thing I want to touch on, so you just, you know, for our audience that's listening, what Lizzie just gave you are the four core values that are rooted in the Agile Manifesto. But I think number four is pretty, pretty big. It's a pretty big ask because you're, you're asking people to really get comfortable being uncomfortable because they have to become okay with change. <laughs> how do you, right. I mean, I imagine there's a lot of resistance there as, you know, as a consultant, how do you overcome some of those barriers or the people that are just unwilling to change or don't want to see it because it's maybe a little bit overwhelming or they're afraid of the outcomes? What do you do to kind of get them on that page to embrace change? So one of the things I do with people to help them embrace change in organization is help them understand change is difficult. And as humans, we hate it. So give them a common playing field. You're not a bad person right now because you don't want to do this right? This is change. Humans, we hate it. And the reason we hate change, because it comes back down to that Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? We need safety. We need to be able to predict what will happen because we feel if we can't predict, we're going to be in danger. So it's that raw human fright flight that comes in, ah, right? So it's helping people go, it's okay to scream. But guess what? Once you finish the scream, you're still going to be here. And you're going to be okay. Right? So it's like if you think about somebody who goes to a horrible divorce at the time, they can't see how their life would ever be the same, how they'll be able to figure it out. But then time happens and they become even a better person. So change when you teach people that it helps you to evolve. One of the classics I use with executives who really have a problem is I ask them this question. When was the last time you saw a dinosaur? Right. And they're like, you know, they give me that weird look, like, what is this woman on? This is some yeah, weird what, dinosaur. Where is she going? <laughs> where, where's she going with this? Right. And then every now and again, I'll have what I call like a smart I like go, well, you know, Lizzie, I just took my son to the zoo the other day. And we saw it. <laughs> and I'm like, that is so amazing. Why is it you saw an elephant and not a Tyrannosaurus Rex? And then we get back to, okay, where's she going? I go because the elephant was able to adapt to the changing climate that was happening on the earth. The others weren't. And where are they today? They're in our cars as petrol. Yes. So as an organization, you have to make a choice. Are you going to be a dinosaur that people talk about and use as fuel? Or do you want to be an elephant? I love that. When I bring that analogy, (laughs) right? It's like, it's like the light bulb goes off of, well, yes, yes, of course we want to be an elephant. We want our company to be here. So that's what we're talking about. We're going to have to respond to the changes that's happening. And if we put these frameworks in place, they will create a security for you while you're dealing with the complexity that's happening around you. You can't shift the complexity, but you can shift you. And that's why it comes back to that human elephant element, Right. Understand the human in the place is what you can shift and change at will. Circumstances you can't, they're out of your control. So us as complex beings have this amazing ability to be able to make shifts. You've just got to be reminded that you can and failure is not part of the equation. It's learning and adapting. And that's what it brings to the table. So those are the conversations I have with people. I help them to see their own inward fear of change first. So we deal first with internal transparency. Who are you right now? Why is change a problem for you? And a lot of times it's what got me into executive coaching. 
a lot of times the reason why people leave in such a very tight way is because growing up and in their life, they had no control. So now as a result, these are things they, because it gives them a sense of this is who I am. So what they do is now attached to the value of who they see themselves as. So it's helping people detach from things being the value to them being valuable. Gosh, I love that perspective just in the sense of, you know, I think that people as you grow older or as from childhood, we're never taught to internally value or to, to internally validate, to, to see themselves as adding value. And yes, it was always maybe being controlled by someone else or feeling like you had to meet the expectations of someone else. And so really it sounds like a part of agile is getting to be more confident in your own strengths and what you bring to the table and also being able to articulate and describe that what you see in yourself that adds value, but also holding space to see the benefits that other people have. Right. So it comes us back to individuals. So starts with the person, then having interactions with other people. So when we're talking about being agile, it starts with you and it starts with me. What are the myths about agile? Like, what do you think people don't understand about it? Okay. Biggest myth. Oh, if we're agile, we're going to save money. We're going to be fast. Biggest myth, right? <laughs> it's magic, right? Um, second myth, it is a place we can get there and we will then be able to like kind of take the flag in the pole. We are agile, yay! Drop the <laughs> mic. Um, that is probably the worst myth. <laughs> right. Like that there's some finite point. It's kind of like perpetuating no. the myth of perfection. Like you will get there and be able to do it even though that's the destination. It is like the journey of life. It's as long as you're alive, as long as your company's doors are open, you're going to be shifting and you're going to be changing. So what ends up happening is we use a phrase of talking agile maturity. So just as a human grows and becomes more mature in life through experiences, etc., organizations become more mature in being agile, but they're never going to get the drop the mic moment. So there's really no tick in the box. And that's one of the things that people have to realize. So a lot of times when senior leaders decide they want to bring Agile into the room, so to speak, they've got boxes they're trying to tick and they think, okay, well, we've done it now. Yeah. Like they have that skill set. So now we're good because, you know, they have this experience or they went to that school. So, yep. Now we've got that good check a box set and forget. Right. Or another myth that people think is if you bring Agile and your teams are going to just love each other and work together. (laughs) Because <laughs> you're seeing people as people. So then, <laughs> yeah, I could see that people assuming like, hey, well, I guess if we're all seeing the people and they forget about the fact that you still need a leader that's going to come in and kind of govern and facilitate those relationships. Right. And another myth is that Agile is for the teams and not the leaders. Ooh, not leaders. Tell me, tell me more about dangerous. that. Why, where do you think people fall into that maybe trap or that myth of believing? Well, because that? a lot of times... Yeah. Leaders have a habit of kind of being in the ivory tower, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And look at the teamwork. <laughs> right. You know, and, and a bit, it's, it's kind of like, you know, even as uh, I'll compare it to parenting, we have a habit of telling our parents, don't do what I do, do what I say. So that comes back again from the industrial age, command and control. So leaders command an organization to be agile by X date not realizing they are going to have to lead the change that they want to see. So it begins with them. And most consultants don't tell organizations that it begins with you as a leadership. Because again, when you think about the consultancy model, right, it's about getting into the organization, getting in as much people as you can, making as much money as you can for billable hours. It's not always about helping people to solve their problems. Yeah, it's, right. We it's gave a, you this framework. So you go and be empowered, go and create your success because we checked that box for ourselves. Right. But we have got to help leaders to understand if you want an agile organization, it starts with your own personal transformation. So, got, leaders have got to understand that. Most leaders, sadly, when they bring agile into their organization, they've never read the agile manifesto. Never. 
What's the benefit of reading the Agile Manifesto? We talked so, about the four core the values, benefit. but there's also the 12, is it 12? Because there's the 12 principles behind it, right? So you've got your four values, got your 12 principles. It's important to see what that is so that as a leader, you can look and say, oh my God, are we ready for this? Are we ready as an organization to embrace these 12 principles? Do we have organizational structures in place to support this? Are there things in our organization that are going to block this, that we're going to have to tear down and reorder the way we do things? Not necessarily just about reorganizing the way you've got people, but reorganizing your processes, right? Looking at the system of your organization, does it support agility? A lot of times it doesn't. But if you've never read it, you wouldn't know. Right. You wouldn't know. So when somebody complains, well, our teams are really having a hard time getting stuff done. You know, we don't have a great production environment or they're like, we've got blocks and nobody's listening. You'll understand, well, with the structure, they've got to go here, 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 here before anything gets done. So, wow, maybe we need to pull apart that and really empower teams right? Give them the ability. Maybe a team has its own budget. It has the ability to make its own decisions. It gets empowered in that way. You know, there's lots of different ideas that will come to leaders once they read it. So what you're saying is if you want to even start to scratch the surface at incorporating agile practices into your team or organization, it's got, just start by reading the Agile Manifesto. Start. And it's not this, well, I guess maybe it is this huge book, but from how I've seen it printed, no, it's, it it's really just a quick, like, here's your four values and here's, and here's 12 principles. principles. <laughs> right? It's, it really is not like crazy. And I mean, one of the principles um, that I love is principle number 10, all right? Um, simplicity, the art of maximizing the amount of work not done. What does that mean? What does that right. mean? So when you listen to it, it sounds like dodging, right? Like, blah, blah, blah. It's basically saying, find what it is that truly moves the needle for your customers or your organization and focus on that thing. So find where the value really is, not the noise. It's your differentiator. Right. So, and which is why it says simplicity, the art of maximizing what you don't do. Because it is an art form to be able to always hone in on the value. And if it's not valuable, we're not doing it. How do you get people to like even prioritize it like that? Because I think, you know, I've worked with leaders in the past that bless their hearts. They see so much opportunity. They say so many possibilities, but you can't always just connect those possibilities to actually value add. And so how do you encourage people to prioritize all of those things and kind of let go of the fear of missing out by not doing something if it doesn't connect to the value. See, now that's where really great leadership comes into place. And one of the things I often say to leaders is, how did this organization come about? What was this organization doing? Why it became an organization? Because a lot of times people don't realize the reason you opened shop was because you had a service, a product. There was something you were exchanging for money, which is why this thing came up right? So the thing that you did then, is that still the thing you're doing now? Is that why you have customers? Is that still your value driver, making that thing amazing? Or is it something else? So sometimes it really is having to go back so that you can go forward. And that brings us into principle number 12, right? At regular times, the team gets together and it inspects Right. So the actual wording is it reflects and becomes more effective. Then here's one. Then tunes. Oh, right. Tunes. Now, if you think about a musical instrument, right, pianos, guitars, you can play them a lot, but you always have to tune them back to that note. Like what is the standard for the E key? Is it at the standard common E? So if an organization doesn't tune itself back to what is the reason it's in existence, it can't find its value. So how do they, how do they start to do that? You know, one of the things you talked about is the, the net, the need for it to be a culture shift. Uh, what does that look like? Or how, how do you actually start to transform the culture into a more agile culture? What's one of the prescriptions that you would recommend to leaders? The first thing I have leaders do is dream. I know it sounds really weird, right? 
I mean, it's, well, it's kind of like love and dream. People are like, <laughs> right? I just don't belong in the workplace. <laughs> I just don't belong in the organization. <laughs> well, I have them dream. I have them do a dream exercise where I have them draw a circle and I ask them in the circle, describe your perfect employees, your perfect teams, your perfect organization. So I've given you an abracadabra. What does it look like? And when they have all of that there, right? It's kind of like the persona they're building of their new organization. Then I ask them to take that as a mirror and look at their organization today. What stops the organization today from being that organization they dream of? And one of those key 10 steps they could make to take the organization they have now closer to that organization that they really want. That's the beginning. Yeah, because that's where they get yeah. to be really, really honest and transparent. So when I do those sessions, it's not a session that happens as a town hall. It's a session that happens with the real core C-suite, really asking hard questions. Right? So you can't, Agile is not like a perfume, right? That you just can spray on. You are going to have to get naked, right? I say, I'm actually preparing a talk about true agility comes from learning how to skinny dip. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to have to get, yeah, you have to be exposed and like, take right, it you're going to have to make it, take it all off. Right. And look at who you guys are as an organization. And from there now you can do the necessary building. And that's why you really have to have a coach help you with this. Right. So when you bring in a team, you really need to bring in somebody who has experience really coaching leaders so that you can take them through that and they begin to map what they want their organization to look like. Because here's the thing about culture culture can never be erased, it has to be evolved. Can never be erased, it, it has to be, be erased. evolved. I, that's, I like that statement. Right. Yeah, because it's always there. You- Right. You can't, you can't erase your past. It doesn't happen. It's there. So now we have got to say, where do we want to be? And we start making steps and we start teaching ourselves to think differently, teaching ourselves to be different, giving ourselves that room that that's where that evolution and emergence starts happening. And there is where now the new culture starts to form. Right. Sorry. What advice would you give to a leader that says, okay, I want to bring this into my culture. What, what are some actionable things that you would have them start doing if they actually want to lead agile efforts or, you know, start to embody that, to walk the talk? What are some tips? I know, you know, one of the things you had mentioned is maybe being in the trenches. Why does that matter? Because I, I know we talked about the ivory tower and how we can't do that in agile. Why is it so essential to be in the trenches? Um, Toyota have this thing that they came up with when they came up with Lean, and they call it the Gemba Walk, right? And it's where the leader comes down amidst the people and watches what they're doing and walks the walk, so walks through all the processes. A real leader who wants a culture change and wants to know what's going on cannot just wait for reports. They're going to have to go look. They're going to have to go talk. There was a leader... um, I encountered some years ago, and he is by far, I think, just one of the favorite leaders that I have in mind, right? Um, And he made a point of making his office in the cafeteria. What? That's fantastic. Talk about accessibility. (laughs) Right. And so just people could come up to him, talk, and he could observe and just see people. And it made such a difference. It was a very strategic, intentional move, right? But it gave him sight of what was happening, sight of how people were reacting. Because if your surveys are saying everybody loves this organization, when you are in the cafeteria, are people laughing? Are they having fun? Or do they look stressed? You can see what's going on. And as a leader, if you are going to lead, you must see the people you're leading and be able to see where you want to take them to. That's why that dream part is so important. Right. Because then the vision truly comes about. And it's okay if the vision today isn't what the vision was yesterday. At least we'll know that. Right. Right? But we need to be transparent. And transparency is one of those key things that comes out of the Scrum framework. 
right? The three pillars that hold Scrum up are transparency, inspection, and adaptation. So if you think about that, that influenced the creating of the Agile Manifesto, that number 12 principle at regular intervals, take the time out to tune. That tuning is take the pause, get naked. And I like to say not HR naked because we're not talking about telling anybody to strip clothes off at work. Okay. <laughs> I just want that to be really clear. Lizzie did not, not tell happening you. on this podcast either. We are not promoting that or ever. Right. We are not promoting people <laughs> taking their physical clothes off. We're talking about vulnerability. Right. So, um, and you think about Brene Brown, right? Oh my God. All the stuff her. she about vulnerability, her. how important it is to being able to move forward. So the organization has to be vulnerable. That's that transparency. Make it a point to pause. A pause is necessary. Look what's happening in our world right now. The universe has put us on pause, right? Because we haven't been pausing. And now as organizations intentionally pause. So have time boxes as a leader. We're not saying every God-given day you're going to be walking amongst people. It's not necessarily practical, right? But have a point every month that you have in your calendar where you're taking intentional time out to go and look what's going on. Okay. So I want to back up there because time boxes or the sprints, uh, those are, you know, a little bit of the foundation of Scrum. Could you just give us a general description of what that is for someone that may be unfamiliar with those terms? What is time box? So in Scrum, a time box is a calendar month or less, right? That's that sprint. So the sprint is a fixed time box. And what is lovely, it has a character, right? So the character of the sprint is it's always time boxed and it's always protected. Meaning for that time box that we pick, we don't let outside change change the directive. Okay. So if it's for two, if we commit to this task for the next single month, Mm-hmm. We are solely focusing on that task. And even That's though it. there might be noise from the outside, we're not allowing that to come in until we it's, go to that, until that expires. Right. Now you may find though, you're in an organization where you can't do four weeks. It's too long. You're in a very dynamic moving place. So four, week, four weeks is too long to insulate from change. So maybe you have to be in a two week window or maybe you have to be in a one week window, Right. Because you're insulating from outside change and staying focused for that sprint. And that's the key thing. So it's like you're getting ready to run a race and you're just focused on hitting that line, right? For that amount of time. And that's the power that Scrum gives you is this time box because it allows you to say, okay, let's enter the time box. Here's our hypothesis. We've got a, we've got an idea of this is what's going to happen. But by the end of the time box, you know if your idea was right or if it was wrong. And all you've done is spent that time. You didn't spend six months, 12 months before you waited for the lessons learned, to, you know, to see all the mistakes. <laughs> you have this small time box. So it's ensuring you guys against risk. It's ensuring against unnecessary spend. Now, the third characteristic is that it's iterative, meaning we keep this cycle of habit consistently going. So we always work in a time box. And when we're in a time box, it's always protected and it's always focused on something. And last but not least is that it's iterative. I think that's the magic in Scrum personally, right? It's the fact that you got these little bite-sized pieces and you can figure out, is that what you really want? You know, like if you go for a wedding, right? And you go for a tasting, you're like, you do a little small taste before you pay to feed all these hundreds of people this food, right? <laughs> and it show up and it'd be like, what are they giving us here? You didn't, t- you didn't do the tasting. So the increment allows customers and the people they're working with, right, to be able to collaborate around this taste. Does it taste right? Would you want it to be a little bit more spicy? Do you want it to look this way more? And they get to see, because a lot of times when you have an ask, you don't really have a visual. Now when you can see and get tacit with it, you're like, oh, yeah, I don't mean it like that. I thought I did, but no, I actually, could you do this? And now you can go back and make that adaptation. So the sprint is a powerful thing. And it's something that you can bring into everyday life. You know, whether you're an individual contributor or whether you're a C-suite leader, you can think about how am I going to, what's most important? You talked about two questions. What were those questions? Yes. So when we talked before, the two questions I always say to people is, is this value add? 
as in, is this thing that you're going to do going to drive the value that drives return on investment? Okay. Or second question, is this thing necessary activity to drive value add? So like compliance, compliance is a necessary activity you have to do depending on the industry you're in, because you can't release your stuff if it's not in compliance, right? So it's a necessary activity. But is it a necessary activity for us per se to have, I don't know, let's say um, sucralose coffee everywhere? Is that necessary, (laughs) right? It's one of those things, is it value add? Is it really necessary? If it's not doing those things anymore, remove it out of the way. Wait, can I pause on that one? Because one of the, I was listening to a different podcast and um, the person that was being interviewed in terms of agile, one of the things that he recommended is banning the reoccurring meeting, which I think could cause someone to have you know, a, a little bit of a panic moment to say, what do you mean? That's the time that I'm actually connecting with my team. And we've had that every Monday for the last five years. <laughs> you're asking people to, you know, throw out something that they've likely thought was really valuable, but turns out it might oh, actually just wasn't. It was actually waste, right? Because if you need to have a conversation and you're really collaborating, we're going to conversate. It's normal. So do we have to have a standard that every Monday we're always meeting, right? doesn't make sense. And it comes back down to that idea of focus and focus in scrum and here back simplicity. What do we need to really meet for? Like, what do we really need to meet for? What's the value we're getting out of this meeting? And if you can't determine value that you're going to get out the meeting or value that you're going to give to the attendees, because you know how much meeting time gets on people's calendars and they get invited to all these crazy meetings, what's the value you're giving back to them? Yeah. If you can't quantify that, then that meeting shouldn't be in anybody's calendar. Hi, you know, I was leading a session yesterday and one of the things that an individual brought up was that he worked for an organization that he would sit in, you know, anywhere from four to eight hour meetings. And when he would share the feedback with higher level leadership, Hey, we, we have too many meetings. He felt as if he, you know, they saw him as kind of being more cynical or negative. And he was really, I guess, he didn't know how to address that. How do I tell these leaders if I'm not in a position of power that these meetings may not be adding as much value as they want to believe that they are? How do you even start to, I guess, educate people on why they should reconsider some of these things? Call it an experiment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's just try this out. <laughs> how about we just experiment? You know, all the cutting edge co- companies are doing that. They're running little experiments. How about we run an experiment where for, you know, maybe four weeks, we don't have calendar meetings. We just have doctor's hours. So everybody keeps their door open from, I don't know, 10 to 2. And if you need to talk to that person, you arrive between 10 to 2 and talk to them. And added to that, you empower that person to be able to make decisions. Oh my gosh, yes, you have the autonomy. If I want to go and talk to you, then I'll talk to you. Otherwise, if I feel good, I feel good. There you go and see what happens. I actually ran that experiment with a few organizations, but the first one I did it with, it was really like the experiment, right? When we did it, we noticed how much time executives got back, right? We know that's and, what they need. That's what and, and that's what they need. Because again, you brought executives into envision, to lead, to come up with things, concepts, to immobilize teams to do them. Um, And if they don't have time, when they're supposed to do that, most people do their work after five o'clock because they've spent all day in the meeting. That doesn't promote a healthy lifestyle for a human. So if you're constantly running in burnout, when do we get new, fresh ideas? Yes. So this is the opportunity for you as a leader to challenge the way that you think, to challenge the way that you structure your time, to challenge what you know. And determine if you are willing to risk those comforts to achieve something greater than what you know. I say, because if value is what it's about, because when you hear the buzzword business agility, right? Um, When we're talking about a company having business agility, it's the ability to deliver value, the right value at the right time. 
Right There's value. no way at the right time. You are not going to be able to d- deliver the right value at the right time if you can't even quantify what value activity is and you have no real mechanism for prioritization. Yeah. You're trying to do 10 things at once. I mean, I feel like if people bring in Agile, I think that way solve at least challenges that I even had earlier on in my career of feeling like, why are we trying to do so much? Why aren't we measuring what we're trying to do to determine whether or not it's the right thing? I feel like you're probably going to give people sanity by (laughs) implementing some of these things because they, you know, if you're not in a position where you have a seat at that table to offer that insight, you're likely just thinking in your brain, like, what, wait, why are we doing this? And so you're further disconnected from the vision in the first place because you're right. not seeing the value. And one of the things I have uh, talked to individual contributors to do, like people who aren't in the leadership position, right, is to create a visual that everybody can see, right? So when people are in the workplace, I'd say, put it on your wall, showing all the activities everybody's asked you to do what you're working on right now, right? So when somebody comes, you can say, not a problem, I'll add that to my backlog. And then what, right? And then when you sit with your managers and they complain, okay, you can say, okay, I brought my backlog with me. Can you tell me which thing do you believe is higher priority than the other? A lot of times- Backlog being, sorry, a backlog being- All the things they've got to do. So when I say backlog, all those to-dos, everything everybody's emailing you about, everything your boss has asked you to do, Put it in a list and then go back to them and say, could you prioritize this for me? What's going to drive the highest value, right? To help me, to help our department be what we're trying to do this year. That's simple. Because then sometimes people just don't have the insight as to how many things are going. So they really don't realize it. But when you see it, you're like, Oh, oh, well, this is more, this is higher priority. And I've even done that in my organization. I had a, a team member come to me, well, well, you asked me to do this, you asked me to do this, you asked me to do this. I said, here's your prioritization. I said, this is how you always prioritize. If it's going to drive revenue or help our customers, it goes up to the top. And then if you can't decide between helping our customers and driving rev- revenue, talk to me. If you've got something that's sitting right in between those two, Ask me and I'll prioritize it for you. Yeah. So this and is also like a moment of development. Them. I mean, yeah, a big like I liberated them. Because I'm like, don't be overwhelmed. There's no need to be overwhelmed. <laughs> I always use this criteria to prioritize. Yeah, because, you know, I had a couple of people, well, I don't know, we just, oh, we got so much. I said, pause, stop, stop. Here's your base priority. Use this all the time. If it's not revenue generating and it's not helping our customers, it doesn't come up to the top. So anything that doesn't fit into that is going to be lower. Now, if you have concerns, talk to me. Let's talk through it. And when I did that, the this like, <gasps> yeah. so you've taken people out of stress, right? So now they can think. Now they can create. Now they can be productive. Well, and that's what you want. As a leader, you want productive teams. If people are in overwhelm, they're panicked. They have anxiety. How on earth are you thinking they're going to create anything for you that's worthwhile in that state? They're not, right? You need people to be in a calm state to do great work. And there's data that says not only do you need them calm, you need them happy. Yeah. And that is not necessarily a concept from the industrial age. Happy? What do you mean happy? You should be happy. You've got a job. And that we employ you. You're privileged to be here. Um, yeah, that's not happy. You know, and think about it. Mental health is a huge thing, right? The amount of people who commit suicide, those statistics are off the radar for people in corporate organizations. And why does that happen? They don't feel they have an outlet. They feel overwhelmed. And when you have constant overwhelm, your brain tells you it's always going to be this way. You're always going to feel this. And who wants to feel that all the time? Right. So we have to, as leaders, really inspect our environments that we're creating. So create environments that allow people to thrive, not simply survive. My gosh, I think that's a great ending point, Lizzie. You've given so many 
nuggets to our our listeners, just so many different perspectives. Uh, speaking from and even, you know, the last point that you had said, I just, I see so much opportunity if you're thinking about teaching someone how to prioritize. And if it's someone that's newer in their career, newer to your organization, by doing that, you're also connecting them probably in a quicker fashion to the big picture and helping to really develop those strategic thinking and decision-making skill sets that are essential if you want them to add value as they continue through their career. But I know that we have to, to wrap up. What would be maybe one last thing that you would want to share with our audience? Or I could say it this way. One of the final questions we typically ask our guests is, what do you, what is your leadership habit for success? What do you do to create success for yourself, to be successful? So, you know, I, I would say, take it that way. You can answer, what is your leadership habit for success? Or what is one thing you would want them to know in your closing remarks? I would say, if you're going to adopt a new leadership habit for success, it would be to take time every day to be very transparent with yourself to inspect the things you've done for that day and figure out what is the next best thing you could do that would make your life better, make your organization better, make your teams better, and make you better. If that becomes a practice for living, leadership will go from here to here because then you'll teach that on and that will become part of you And then it will have a knock-on effect to becoming part of your teams. Then before you know it, your culture of your organization has become value-driven. And that's just simple. So it starts with you. My gosh, that's a great place to end it. Lizzie, thank you so much for just sharing your time, sharing your insight, sharing your ideas with our audience. I really enjoyed our conversation and I know our listeners did too. Thank you so much for being here. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been great. It was absolutely fabulous to talk about something I'm so passionate about. Yeah, and you can absolutely tell. We're going to be giving um, information on how they can list, they can connect with you in the bumper. So stay tuned and we'll give you some insights on how you can connect with Lizzie. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. If you want to connect with Lizzie, go ahead and meet with her all over LinkedIn. She posts weekly updates. She's got motivation. She's got different resources that you can follow. So it's Lizzie Morris at LinkedIn. Connect with her. Ask her questions. If you loved this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends. Help them become better leaders. And most importantly, we would appreciate if you went and rated and reviewed this podcast episode or the Leadership Habit Podcast in general on your favorite podcast streaming service. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time.